Welcome to this edition of Toby Haddock's Who's Round. This one's got lots of pace, lots of energy. Enjoy. Well, this is an unusual one because there are two of us going to be here and somebody else might uh, sp- speak up and ask some questions. But for the moment, uh, I'm going to ask my guest to tell me who he is and why I'm talking to him about Doctor Who. So, my name is Graham Harper <clears throat> and I worked on Doctor Who in the 80s. Well, in fact, I worked on, the Doctor, on, on Doctor Who um, from 1966 onwards um, and it's never kind of left me. I'm actually still um, involved with Doctor Who. Yeah, so, well, because t- obviously you've talked a lot about the ones that you directed, but you were wor- you worked on the show in a, in a more junior capacity as you were learning the ropes at the BBC. So I did. What was your introduction to Doctor Who? My first... The first week I joined the BBC, which was September, so it would be 25th of September onwards, um, I went and worked... Well, I was training another floor assistant who... Um, showed me the ropes on a Doctor Who and it was with Patrick Troughton and I think Annika Wilkes Annika Wilkes had just just started if not that episode that season was her first season I think yeah well she because she, she was there when Patrick Troughton started so because uh, she, she, she she witnessed William Hartnell change into oh, Patrick Troughton yes, so that yeah, was her yeah so, so wow so you you encountered I, Annika I did. way back I remember her being very pretty and uh, uh, delicious, a dolly bird, as we used to say in those days. But um, uh, And I've met her subsequently and, uh, and, and, and told her that story that I ogled over this <laughs> delicious woman. Um, and she's still pretty good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's good fun. She likes the Doctor. So, um, but then, you so, so that would have been a sort of very, very junior. And then well, by the time Pertwee comes along, we were together on the DVD commentary of Colony in Space, but you did that and you did... Planet of the Daleks and Planet of the Spiders, which was John Pertwee's last one. As yes, a, as an AFM. Yes, that's right. Um, it's really funny you said you, you, you bring that colony in space up. Um, <laughs> by accident, I was told. Well, not by accident. Someone told me that they'd read. Someone had heard um, on the. Um, they just. Sorry, I'm saying this badly. They. That's just been released quite recently uh, on a DVD somewhere, the series of Colony in Space. And I did that also with um, Michael Bryant. Bryant, yeah. And somebody who listened to this or watched it apparently said, uh, for God's sake, man, speak. Apparently I said nothing on it. I wasn't a very good um, guest speaking in the background. So. Oh, well, that means, I, uh, it means the, the moderator wasn't very good, which was me. I should have, I should have been getting <laughs> more out of you. <laughs> oh, yes, more, I remember. I do remember. <laughs> but, you know, I, I found it very, very hard to remember, even though I had been sent the, um, the series, the six-parter, yeah. and I'd watched it, I do not remember. I didn't remember many moments um, it's so long ago, I just don't remember all the detail. And so it was probably quite true that I had not much to say. But I, I guess by the time you're doing something like The Seeds of Doom with Tom Baker, that's an association that is quite palpable with you because it was directed by Douglas Camfield, who you've always talked of as something of a, a mentor of yours. Oh, he was, uh, just, he was somebody very special. Um, he came into my life. I was really lucky to work with him. But many people worked with him and um, would all say the same thing. He was a... Uh, 
he was quite extraordinary, very youthful, very... Um, he, he, there was an aspect of him that was not immature, but very youthful, very young, and um, he hadn't really grown up. He was Peter Pan, really, in that sense, and he was wanting to have fun. He enjoyed what he did. Um, but what was special about him was he made it fun for everyone. He involved you. You were all really important to help him make this vision that he was going to do. Um, and when he did it, I don't know, maybe you might think watching his stuff on Doctor Who might be dated. It was polished and perfect. Um, and it was unusual. He was quite an unusual... He had an unusual eye, the way he wanted to shoot. Not every, every scene, but he had something very special about him. Well, no, I, th- I think... Most people who are conversant in that stuff can identify a Douglas Canfield production because it, it, it does look different. It, and I don't know how you how you quantify atmosphere, but and how you account for how it is injected into a show. But his always seemed to have an atmosphere yeah, no, that agree. others don't. Yeah, I think that was. Um... I don't know. He was just talented. I, I think there are. I'm sure there are many kinds of directors, but there are two distinctive ones to me. There are directors who like the idea of being a director and the fact that they have a power um, and everybody waits for them to speak. So if they don't speak, nothing happens. And there's the director that really absolutely enjoys every process, every moment of the process of making something uh, and then collaborates. He collaborates with everybody and expects everybody to collaborate with him to make something they're all going to go together that he's going to lead them through to. Um, and that was Douglas. Uh, and there are quite a few like him. He wasn't the only one. But he had something special, which was his personality. And, um, yeah, he was somebody really worth uh, talking to and being with. And what about the... I mean, we, we talked about... Because I have to say, then when you come along to direct Doctor Who in the 80s, I think people would equally say, your productions stand out <coughs> in terms of uh, a sort of an atmosphere, a grittiness, a drama, and again, it's something you're not quite, you can't quite put your finger on what it is that it has, but but it has it. Does that does that make it? And, and and would you say that whatever it is that it was working with Douglas that that helped you to do that, whatever it is, and can you tell us what it is? Um, <laughs> That's a terrible it, question. It wasn't, it wasn't <laughs> you know what good, I mean. It's a good one. <laughs> Douglas wasn't the only one. He was. Right, Douglas and I became very good friends. I have no idea why we come from totally different backgrounds. Uh, well, that was probably the reason why, because it was yin and yang. But he, he, he took me under his wing because he could see, he told me uh, later in my life, but he could see that I was really, I had a heart for television. Um, and it wasn't just television, for filmmaking, for, for making pictures with actors. I, I could, he could see by my ideas that he would, if he had a problem and couldn't work something out, you were allowed to suggest something to him. He wouldn't, he wouldn't bite your head off and explain, say to you, um, uh, you do your job and I'll do mine. He relished, he wanted you to say, to speak up. And if he didn't like it, he'd say, I don't want to do that. But, um, but at least you had the opportunity. And I, I had the opportunity, so I was, I, what happened was I grew, not as a director, I was a, a first when I worked with him. Um, but he allowed me into his world. Well, so did John Davis, and so did um, uh, Moira Armstrong. Moira Armstrong, more than anybody else, allowed me into her very secret world, um, whereas Douglas didn't have a secret. He wanted you all to know. Moira was not... She was the secret, but she... Um, 
she was um, quiet and, um, and thoughtful about what she was going to do, whereas Ducks was just loud and brash and fun and wanted to have a good laugh. But it's interesting you talk about um, you know, making an impact and things on screen. You come and announce yourself in the 1980s as, as a director cut from a different cloth from the other directors. Not to disparage you, there were some fine directors on, on Doctor Who in the 80s. Thinking about people like Fiona Cumming, who, who made very good productions, but they were, they were productions of a type of television. Whereas you're suddenly doing crossfades and short scenes and John Normington's talking to camera, and suddenly there's a new language being talked in the, in the visual grammar of Doctor Who. I mean, were you aware that what you were doing was very different from everybody else? No, I just knew that... Um... I went to see, um, before all this, I got married for a second time. Um, and uh, part of the reason I fell in love with my wife is because in our early days, I took her to see Star Wars, um, which I knew was going to be a fantastic... Uh, I knew uh, this was going to be something special. Um, and through all that noise and excitement, she fell fast asleep. Um, but the thing that was brilliant about it was that um, uh, that I had a vision that I could see that we couldn't do television the way we were in, in science fiction anymore, the way we did it, because we had to follow this. Um, and we didn't have the money to do that, but we certainly could visualise it in that way. So it came from Raiders of the Lost Ark, which is one of my favourite series of films, and Star Wars. Um, just for their pure visuality as well as um, uh, great storytelling and epic storytelling. We could do that on television. So it was partly that. My ambition was bigger than the budget, for sure. So, and I got into serious trouble in the case of Androzani um, because I tried to do part handheld, part single camera, um, trying out lots of things to give it the energy and pace that would compete with um, these big feature films. There was no way I was going to win, but what happened was um, the pace and energy um, of each sequence and, and then the serious, gentle slowness every now and then in the dungeon or the deeps, the depths, the deeps, I think they were called. Um, uh, that really came from going to see those kind of movies. Um, so I was cheeky, I mean, very ambitious to try and do, to try and compete with those productions, those films, on a, a tiny budget with um, cranky multi-camera studio. It just wasn't going to happen, but it did. Um, John had to cut lots of material because I ran out of time finishing things. So I was, a, you know, I wasn't considered um, a great hero at the end of it. <laughs> But in, until he saw the finished product, when he once he saw John Nathan Turner saw the finished product, um, he just said it's absolutely fabulous, and uh, we want you back definitely. I want you to come and do some more. Um, that's what happened. It was pure luck. It was just a series of and a series of things. Do you want me to carry on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Please do. A series of what happened was it was written by uh, um, Robert, Holmes. Robert Holmes, who of his period was one of the great adventure storytellers great great writer for action adventure uh, he was British and he was all terribly British all young gung-ho but it was absolutely brilliant his, what he wrote on the page you wanted to get there uh, the excitement of it put it on the screen 
and I thought Douglas Canfield and he, because he did the Seeds of Doom, didn't he? Um, uh, well, he was the script editor on it, so he had a lot. There's a lot. It's, he would have had a lot to do with the structure of how yeah, that was going to be. Robert Banks Stewart wrote it, but Holmes. Oh, there you were. There's a great storyteller there. Yeah, yeah. Was it him? Gosh, yeah. I couldn't remember. Um, well, he had two great um, eyes over that, because they're both yeah. terrific in their right. Um, I've completely forgot what I was going to say. So you're saying you've got this this script by Holmes. So I had so we ended up with a, a script by Robert Holmes that I just thought was extraordinary, but it required lots of technical effect technical effects. There was no way they could afford to do all of that on the uh, you know all the lasers they wanted, all the explosions. So I said to John Nathan Turner, "Why don't we make it a modern story set on it's today's world on another planet, and there's another different kind of Maggie Thatcher? Let's make it Thatcher's world, and let's really show how awful these people live in the conditions they live in, where they are, um, and therefore we'll have submachine guns which." Uh, so it'll cost us a third of the budget and all the effects, etc. We don't have to pay for all the effects. And then we can just have effects that will be worth having. Um, so he agreed to that. Um, and then the casting uh, was just sublime. We got such... We were so lucky. They weren't all the first choices. But, boy, they should have been, because they all turned in such a fantastic performance. And it all came together. And the secret was we all rehearsed in a rehearsal room. So all the actors, they all got to meet each other, uh, whether they're in each other's scenes or not. So there was a fantastic family atmosphere on Doctor Who, even then. It uh, still is, but particularly then. Um, we made a series of decisions that just were the right ones, that, that made it work but my problem was I had no experience I've been directing for two years and I, I really didn't have the experience uh, you require, required to plan that show um, so a lot of it had to go by the wayside because we couldn't we didn't have time to do it all but what I did get um, when it, two or three years after it went out um, I started telling people you know what when you watch it it's slow and creaky and it isn't we watch it now it, it, it's got action adventure it's got pace energy it's exciting and it's one of the best performances Peter Davison ever gave I thought he was brilliant in it. it's the, yeah it's, it's the best performance he gives in the role and because well, that's the interesting because sometimes you get directors who are classed as action directors who as you say like you, yourself inject pace and energy and it looks good and all that sort of thing but you've alluded to it the cast of that is faultless so you seem to be able to manage both explosions and people <laughs> uh, which which again a lot of directors will excel in one or the other so what's your approach to, to, to actors and, and casting them? let them know you're vulnerable you just that we your ideas are not necessarily always the right ones um, that it's a collaboration so the, the, the people you've got to impress, um, and it's not impressing, it's not, I can't speak, it's not impressing, it's um, the people you've got to get on with really well, you've got to really be together, uh, the actors and you, because you're telling the story, so uh, uh, once you, uh, and, and the technical side of it, you have to get to know, you have to be brave and know what you want and try and explain how you want to shoot something. Um, and I know that I almost told everybody every detail of every moment of everything, and you can't. You have to just describe briefly a shape of how you want to shoot something, and operators will find exactly what you want. And then, if it's not quite what you want, you fine tune it. It's not that difficult. 
um, and then you get the style of shooting that you really want. Um, but it's collaboration, and that's the secret. That's If you go in as a director going, no, 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 I'm God, this is the way I want it, you keep your ideas to yourself, you do it when you're directing, this is the way I want to do it. Um, I guess if you're a genius it would be brilliant but it would be even more brilliant if you actually listened if you listen to actors um, and listen to um, now it's uh, uh, effects artists if you listen to them they will tell you how to how to best give the shots you require to look fabulous for them to do their work too and the same with actors and the same with all the technicians sorry um, bang <laughs> um, Pompous overtime. Uh, I worked with an actor who uh, in Red Redfern, in Redfern, in Redford. No, Ian. Sorry, Ian. Ian Redford. Now, Ian um, uh, is quite a well-known actor, um, uh, and certainly would have been really well-known in the eighties and nineties. That was really his period. Um, I worked with him on another show, completely not on Doctor Who, and he said to me at the end. When we finished working, we only we worked for six weeks, six weeks with each other in a new character. We developed a character that would last for six stories, as well, six episodes. Um, and at the end of it, he said to me, "I'm really pleased to work with you. It was a, an absolute pleasure." And I said the same with me to you. It was a, an absolute joy to develop this character with him. Um, and, and I said, "But why do you think?" Um, what do you think was so good about it? Why are you so pleased that... I don't actually know what it is that we've done that made you do the performance you did, but it was certainly good. And he said to me something I've never forgotten. I never understood what he meant until now. Now I know what he means in my latter, latter years. But he said to me, you allow actors to be good, and that's why this is good. And I didn't ask him what he meant because I didn't I actually didn't I was too embarrassed to ask him what he meant but I didn't know what he meant how, how do you make actors good unless you're telling them how to play it and what he meant was you have to it's like music it's the spaces are important as well the, the silence the taciturns tacits they're as important as the, the notes you're actually playing and it's allowing an actor to show you what they can do and if you don't like it you can then say something about it but if you do listen to them and love it let them do it tell them and and, 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 and nurture that and allow them to not feel afraid I think a lot of actors are afraid of directors until they get to know them um, uh, afraid of being a, able to open their mouths and speak and there are other actors who definitely don't give a toss about it they have their say anyway but most actors will want to hear what the director's got to say that's their job but I don't think it is that I think you actually have to collaborate so. but what interests me there then as, as God a, I sound as, boring no, no, this is whittering on as, as, a, as a director that worked on Doctor Who in those days when television was made differently to a, as a director who has worked on Doctor Who today in the, in the modern era where frankly directors sometimes don't even get to cast because it has to go through executives and there's a casting director um, which now seems to be the way to make television, which is still how you earn your living, is that better? Is that worse? Why has that happened? And why is why why do you think that a, another director on modern Doctor Who, um, and I will quote him, and I quoted him at Russell just to see what you make of it, said he feels now that the executive culture um, 
has been used to, what did he say, to the executives feel that they are protecting the audience from the director, and he feels resentful as, from, from that point of view as a director, that he can't be allowed to do his vision without being compromised and sullied by other people who are perhaps not actually cut from a creative cloth. He's absolutely right. And when I started directing, you had um, head of a department, so I was in drama serials who made Doctor Who. You had a series of producers under that head of department. There were no executive producers. The executive producer of every production was the head of department, um, and he was the executive producer. He had, he had the last say. Between him and the director was a producer. So the producer and the director went off and made what they wanted... Um, the scripts were kept in iron by the executive producer and the script editor but they worked to the producer and the director the director and the producer didn't work to the script editor and, and the head of, well, the head of the department of course they did but um, in those days you were given the producer was given a project or his project that he'd offered had been signed off yes we're going to do that and he told the head of department I want one director, and it could be any one of these three, and I'd like him first. If he's not available, him second, and her third, or whatever. So you had the producer who was in charge, really, and the head of department. They were all checking the script, and the script was finished and signed off at least, it depends how long it was, but at least a week before you started shooting. So there was a definite week's period, um, if not before that, where you as a director could plan your script, plan how you're going to shoot it, write it, and uh, how you, you can write it in many ways, but write your notes on your script so that you could start shooting a week later. Um, and if it was a, a multi-camera studio, sorry, if it was a multi-camera studio, you had to plan, you had to plan every shot because it was going to be typed up and, and read by many people who were going to do those shots. Um, and you were left to get on with that and do it yourself. You still had a, a fail-safe because by you then edited the programme. The producer had his or her say on the way it was going to be and you again collaborate together. And then it becomes a product that both you and the producer absolutely love. And that is finished and then show him dubbed and put music on and then shown to the head of the department. So he sees it um, as a complete project. And then he would say, I'd like this changed and that cut and that done. Um, and that's what you did. You did the six or seven notes they wanted. Uh, and that show went out. There was a fantastic discipline. Now we have... Uh, uh, so you've got a, Obviously you've got a producer. You've got an associate producer, line producer. You've got the producer. Probably a series producer. You've then got an executive producer. And then there's the head of department or head of drama. So there's, and then those people have a script editor and a script development person, and all those people have to have a say on whether that word or that line or that scene should stay or go or change or be somewhere else or could they put them in pink instead of yellow. Um, all these decisions are made by many other people, whereas when I started, it was down to you, and the one person who could veto you was the producer who was failed protecting the executive producer and what he wanted. Um, trying to outthink what they would need or what they would like because he knew they wouldn't like that. Um, but that was how it was. The discipline's gone now because now we have um, script editors uh, who are made up to producers. That's not a problem 
except they need to learn uh, about structure of how to do a story in a studio on multi on single camera. Um, how expensive is it to make because you've got all these different effects or different locations? Where, is it viable? Can you do it for the money? And can you do it properly for the money? And guess what? Can you have a director good enough to make all that happen for you because you want the best? Um, but you don't... You, you don't, as a producer, have that choice. You want that director, but you also have to put up probably another eight or nine, and somebody else will decide who you're going to have as a producer, as a director. And then, when you've got your director, they are watched very carefully by the producer, the associate producer, the series producer, and then... Uh, they all get access to rushes all the time, so they see everything you shoot on a daily basis if they want to look. Uh, and a lot of them do, and a lot of them make comments. Um, that's not really the best way or most economic way to make a, a programme, but that's the difference. There was a lot more... There were Producers were producers, and they had big names um, for themselves, and they were uh, an extraordinary bunch of people with extraordinary powers, good powers, uh, to enable things to happen. Um, and now I think we have a, a much weakened version of that. Um, and directors are not gods. They are people who are really employed on a freelance basis as part of the team, the crew. Yet they come in and work with the producer three or four weeks before the production and work very closely with the script department to veto and agree and say they love and would like to do that version of the script, etc. But in the end, um, I think it's going to come that, um, that we won't even be in the editing process. That will be just producers. They'll just get rid of us because it'll be cheaper. So, and that's what it, it comes down to expense. And yet... Is it cheaper to employ loads of people at executive level of pay who strike me as being ones who get in the way of you doing the job that you they do. to do? Um, they do in terms of time because everything everything's now cut down to the barest minimum. Profit margins are big, obviously, because they're certainly not in production. Um, it, it, every penny is squeezed out of the production for profit. Um, and you have to make the best you can with what you're finally given. It's not all doom and gloom but it's not I've seen it change gradually for the worse um, and we, we seem to be we're about to reinvent the wheel technically um, the way we do things uh, it, and it has to change it has to, we have to stop having every producer coming from, um, not every but most producers uh, come through scripts, they don't come through production you should have a healthy mixture of producers who come from both um, and they should cross over with each other and everybody should do everybody else's um, jobs. And when I say jobs, I mean as, a, as a, a producer, you produce variety and you also produce drama. You have a choice and you sometimes go between the two because you have a fantastic experience. I came through a massive... Um, a massive um, variety in my experience through variety of programmes because I came in as a runner to the BBC in the 60s and worked on Top of the Pops, Play for Today, The Wednesday Play, um, Mass Today, uh, Jack and Ori Play School, musicals, uh, variety shows, fabulous experience um, with different problems for different programmes. Well, if you've got that and then eventually you become a director, there's not a lot you can't actually 
handle of how to visualise because you can do if you need a news item on a television programme within your programme you know how to go about grabbing a microphone and a cameraman and going and get the interview or, or set up a newscaster in front of a, a display because you've been there you've done it you haven't directed it but you've actually seen how it was done so you, that, that's experience most people don't have that experience anymore they're just stuck in one area with one company doing um, that series um, and perhaps two years later they'll move on to another one whereas we all came through a massive variety of experiences well okay well talking about we talk, talk about the levels of executives um, a big figure in Doctor Who back when you were doing it was John Nathan Turner who was the man who had overall creative control and is possibly the most controversial figure in the history of the show so how did you find your relationship with with him and you know he presided over a very turbulent time in the show's history where it wasn't necessarily massively loved by the bee I actually don't know why John Nathan Turner stayed the length he did on the programme as its producer because he he was brilliant, and he—he he, is a great example of what I mean about crossing over the different um, areas of of uh, production. John's real, uh, uh, real what's the word? Uh, real uh, gift was um, variety, doing a variety show. And gradually, the BBC lost variety shows. Guess what? We've got Strictly Come Dancing. It's a variety show because it has singers. It's got a. It's got dancers. It has special, special, speciality dancers. Um, we don't have. We we went for about twenty years of no variety shows, whereas we'd all been brought up again with fantastic rights. Set a black show, um, um, Lulu show, uh, um, Chris Cliff uh, Richards show. They all had big variety shows with comics with acts that came on and, and entertained you. It's taken 20 years to get them all back again, you know, which is Britain's Got Talent. Whatever. Um, John Nathan Turner should have been doing that kind of show because he was brilliant. He, he could do a big musical com- uh, production or big variety show, but he could also do fantastic drama. And Doctor Who is always fantastic. You know, some are good, some are not so good, but always fantastical and always worth a look. Even if you, in the end, compare them with something else and say that episode's not that great. But compared to most things that were being made, it was pretty good and um, very interesting to watch. Um, I think he was... I think he was kept in that position too long. Three years too long. After seven years, he should have gone on. Um, But I don't think he was getting those offers and he was obviously wanted to finish off Doctor Who. But the BBC were trying to kill it off and nobody was brave enough to stop it and then face the fans. I don't know what their problem was. Just stop it and then you'd learn sooner than they, the 20 years they had to wait until it came back again to find out it was actually popular. Um, but they quietly killed it off um, and there were many furores about it but, but the BBC chose not to listen and that was foolish because they could have made lots and lots of money um, in the interim period but they didn't they chose to kill it um, but it wouldn't go away uh, John Nathan so John Nathan Turner um, I think he kept it alive as best he could with as little as possible he had nothing and his budgets were cut down year after year um, so I think he was excellent I think he actually uh, held you know flew the flag and kept it flying uh, for as long as it was ever possible, with integrity and, and with always wanting to tell, sorry, very very good stories. Um, he was a storyteller, so 
I've got nothing really bad to say about him. I thought he was uh, trapped and did the best he could, uh, and I don't think he helped kill it off. I think he was helping to keep it alive. Although there is a school of thought that says actually Doctor Who needed to die in order to come back to the success that it was, because obviously it's made in a very different style. I, I, do you know what? I didn't think... You know, I was involved with Doctor Who on and off bits and pieces over the few years after it died and it stopped. Um, and all the time there was a man called um, uh, Russell T. Davis um, planning and plotting and scheming, if only, in his head all those years. He must have done because he had to have blackmailed the BBC some way uh, saying, I'll come to do whatever it was, sorry, to do as long as we bring Doctor Who back. I'm sure that's the scenario. That's what happened. Some way he said, I'll come back if, if we do that. I want that as well. Um, and thank God he did, uh, because that's what we should have done in 1993 or, or 1989. That's what we should have done. We should have thrown the cameras away, multi-camera studio, put money into it and really done exactly what he did with John Nathan Turner. But we didn't. We had to wait 20 years. So, yeah, maybe everybody's right. Maybe it needed that time uh, of festering and... and, and different manoeuvres going in the background that nobody ever knew about because nobody actually really officially was doing anything about anything um, for it to come back and then it came back with a vengeance and it was brilliant I thought it was just stunning to see what he turned Doctor Who into and when it came back as you know I think I think the word was on the lips of Doctor Who fans going if there's a director from old Doctor Who who stands a chance of being doing new Doctor it's Graham Hart because you were you know highly respected in the industry working 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 you know more but than me <laughs> anything needs to explode in a soap opera you're the man Doctor Who has loads of explosions so you've been working consistently in television did you I mean was it a conscious thought that you had going I need a piece of that did they approach you how did getting back into Doctor Who happen when I um when I, I heard that Doctor Who was coming back, um, the only reason I, I'm going to be... They're going to hate me now. Every, every fan's going to hate what I'm about to say. The only reason in the 80s I loved Doctor Who was because it, it taught me the way to go was action-adventure. That's what I should be making. That's where I'm going to... That's where I'm best happy. I, I enjoyed doing that. I enjoyed the complicated... I'm not afraid of it. I have no idea why, but I'm not afraid of um, doing something really big on Thrums Apening, um, seeing if we can do it, and encouraging people to have a go. Um, oh, I, I've actually sort of forgot what I'm going to say. So you're saying about getting back to Doctor Who, and you were saying the fans were going to help hate you, because yeah. the reason you enjoyed it. The only reason I enjoyed Doctor Who in the 80s was, A, I mean, it was a great group of actors, and a team to die for. They we all got on and, and they want all the crew wants to do this silly lot of stuff that I wanted to do um, and we didn't, we didn't finish uh, lots of things were cut I, you know it was a disaster and it wasn't because it turned out to be good we didn't pick anything up it was, it was all there it needed to be edited and it, unfortunately it happened in the studio as we went along um, but it taught me that I would that's where I should be going and the other side of me I love good drama really well played I want I want actors to have 
I want you to have a chance to say, can I go again? Um, and it's not often possible now, where it should be. We always go for a technical reason, but sometimes, no, no, it's good enough, we're moving on to an actor. Not always, but, but a lot of the times. Um, and I, the other thing is a director needs to know when, when someone's face as an actor goes, oh, you bloody fool, you could have so much more. Um, you need to recognise that and go, and take a deep breath and go, do it again. Uh, and, and hope that you uh, buggy yourself up the rest of the day with um, whatever else you've got to pick up. Um, uh, and you also have to convince the actor, I can't, and it's good. And when I say it's good enough, it really is good. And they have to trust you. Um, I, I was surprised I got it. I wrote to um, uh, uh, Russell T. Davis and said... I know you're, I hear that you're going to be um, producing a new series of Doctor Who and I would give both of my arms to come and do it if there was ever a chance to meet. Um, and I knew Russell T. Davis for a brief time in our lives. We met twice. Um, we worked on two projects together. One was a, a children's comedy series in the 80s when I first started directing up in Liverpool, um, which was a, a programme that went out as live on a Saturday morning. It wasn't, it was recorded, but um, as live. Um, and he was one of the key writers for, for the comedy stuff and that, as a junior writer. Um, and the next time was um, he was a script doctor on a Granada comedy that was having trouble, uh, and I was directing it. And I was probably the trouble, but he was, um, again, a script doctor on that. So I got to know him a bit in that period, so I could write to him. So I wrote to him, and he wrote a letter back saying, Unfortunately, Graham, it's not down to me. I don't think so. Um, it'll be down to other heads, I'm afraid. Um, but I will make sure your name is in there. Melting pot, and we'll see what happens. Thanks to Graham. More from him in part two. Um, his charity is Mission to Seafarers, is its proper title. Mission to Seafarers, all one word, dot org. He will explain why uh, in the next edition, which covers other aspects of his career and a bit more Doctor Who. Till then, ta-ta. Coming soon from Big Finish, Doctor Who, the new adventures of Bernice Summerfield, ruler of the universe. I see the great darkness coming, but also I see hope. What are those things? Very old and very bad and very hungry! Doctor! Do you ever feel guilty? No. You're the most powerful man in the universe, and every decision you make, whether right or wrong, has consequences. What have you done? I thought you were saving us! We're being gas. The doors won't open, and they're, they're pumping gas into the cab! I know! Isn't it wonderful? And where does Professor Summerfield come in? Of all the people in this universe, she's the only person who believes in me. And I worry I've lost her. What could be more fun than being 
awful old me in a universe run by the doctor. <laughs> Big finish. We love stories. Agent Bernie Summerfield, special liaison to the president of the universe, my card. Beans, beans, coffee, loyalty card. We're a secret agency. What do you expect? <laughs>